this brings us to what I would call then our, 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 our doctrine or the main point that I want to develop here today. And I want, to, I want to present our main proposition in two forms. Number one, I want to present it in a general sense. But then number two, I want to make it more particular to this congregation. And our main point is essentially this. Spiritual gifts are always present in the body of Christ and are given to the church through the Holy Spirit in order to equip and strengthen that body to fulfill its purpose. Gifts permeate the body of Christ, if I can say it that way. And those gifts are always given in order that the church in general, and this church in particular, would fulfill the purpose that God has ordained for it. So that's the general proposition. I want to make it more particular to each and every one of us to this particular congregation. And I would say this. You have been uniquely gifted by God to be in this church for the benefit of others and will give an account to the Lord of the church for how you use your gifts. You see, we go from the, from the general uh, proposition, as it were, to the more particular. Yes, the, church, the gifts permeate the church. Well, gifts permeate this church. And the gifts that permeate this church are to be used for the mutual edification of this assembly. So that the mission of this church will be effective in the world at large. And that brings me to what I would call the necessity of this proposition or the necessity of this doctrine. And it comes down to the fact that the church of Jesus Christ at large and in particular is given a particular mission by God. And it's very interesting when you take a look at the, how, uh, how, how in church history and in theology uh, the idea of the purpose of the church has been handled. Normally, it, it, it is addressed in three ways. Uh, that, the, that in the church, the purpose of the church is to, is to be that place where, where God is worshipped in the earth. So that the church is designed and comes together for the worship of God. The second thing that we see is that, is that the church is designed to be that place where the people of God are edified. The third thing that we see is that the church is to be that, 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 that vehicle, if I can say it that way, uh, that, that, that body, that vehicle, wherein evangelization of the world takes place. And so these are three points that come up over and over again by way of the function or the purpose of the church. The church is to be the place where God is worshipped. The church is to be the place where the people of God are edified and built up. The church is to be that place through which evangelization takes place. Well, I'm saying to you, the way all three of those or any one of those takes place is through the gifts that Christ gives to his church through the sovereign design of the Holy Spirit. That's how necessary spiritual gifts are. This is not something over and above. Oh, isn't this a neat little thing we're learning about now? Oh, isn't this nice that we can, we can do this new thing? No, the church has always existed and can never in one sense exist apart from the gifts that, God, that Christ gives to the church. These things are absolutely necessary. And that's why we're beginning again this series of sermons. You know that what I hope to do is, is after we get done with this series of sermons, we're going we're gonna to take up in more thorough detail and more thorough detail uh, a study of the gifts themselves. <clears throat> it won't be taking place during our worship services. It will be taking place during one of our midweek services. But again, I want to introduce this whole idea of the necessity of the gifts uh, in the church I came across a, 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 a quote that I want to uh, read to you this morning uh, by way of the, the importance of the work of the Spirit of God in the church. One man writes as follows. He says this, the Spirit is the life of the church. Notice, the, notice how he picks up on the, uh, on the images that, uh, uh, they, the, that the Word of God gives us as to what the church is. The man goes on to say this. If the church is the body of Christ, and we know that it is, if the church is the body of Christ, the spirit of Christ is the life of the body. 
Just as a body without the Spirit is dead, so without the Holy Spirit there would be no church, no community at all. Possession of the Spirit indicates membership in the people of God, and participation in the Spirit is the basis of the corporate life. The Spirit gives life and sustain, gives life and sustains uh, the body itself. And so again, what we see here is the necessity of the ongoing work of the Spirit of God within the church of Jesus Christ. We can never, never under, uh, undervalue that, and we must always emphasize that. Well, with all that by way of introduction... I bring you now again to the outline as I laid it out uh, before you. Once again, the fact of every person's gift, the aim of every person's gift, the accountability for every person's gifts. And let's take a look then at the first point that we see here. And we're going to see this in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And again, in that passage of Scripture, uh, we've, uh, we've already uh, read this uh, last week, but we're going to pick it up here again today. And just give me a moment to get there. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we read the following. As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, as I said before... The first point that we're going to the first point that we're going to touch upon from this passage of scripture is that fact that once again everybody has been given a particular church I'm sorry a particular gift in the church of Jesus Christ. This is something that I want you to be aware of. I don't want you to think that as I said before that you're just here by way of mistake that you are here purposely having been gifted by Jesus Christ to be here. So I want you to understand that you are uniquely gifted by God to be in this church. Now, this is a very direct application, is it not? You are particularly or uniquely gifted by God to be in this church. In one sense, there's two things that are being brought together here. In one sense, we're bringing together both the sovereign purposes of God Almighty and the subjective responses of God's people. And these two things have to come together. So oftentimes, we, we walk through life and we rightly think this way. There we are in difficult situations. Decisions have to be made. And we fall back on a great passage of Scripture. Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Your steps were ordered to bring you to this place. Now again, this doesn't happen just by way of uh, you walking zombie-like into this church. No, there was a real interaction with your soul. You thought these things through. You evaluated this and you evaluated this and you subjectively were obedient to the work of the Spirit of God within you and you came to this church. And I'm saying to you, if you're here in this church by way of the will and direction of God, you've been uniquely gifted and qualified to be here for a specific task. You're not just here as observers. You're not just here as spectators. You're not just here, again, doing your time to be in church on a particular day of the week. No, you are here uniquely qualified to do the work that Christ has called you to do. So that's the first thing, as I said before, that I want you to see and I want you to understand. The second thing I want you to kind of engage with me is this. Are you willing to see yourself that way? Are you willing to see yourself as being here under the direct, again, work of God in your life, having been now uniquely gifted for a task within this assembly? Can I challenge you to think that way? And I would say this to you, that the word of God drives us to that. Listen again what Paul says in, in the passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. Paul says this, But now, listen how purposeful this is, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it has pleased him. You're not here by mistake. God has set you here as it had pleased him. 
And God has given you gifts to, for your being in here in order that this body might again be edified in the faith that we walk by. And so again, here is uh, the, the, the work of, here is the fact that, that every person again is uh, uniquely uh, gifted by God. Now, what's interesting is that when we pick up on this first point, the fact that every person has been given a gift by Jesus Christ at conversion, you have to understand that this is not just a particular uh, emphasis that Peter makes. This is not something that's unique to Peter. You have to understand that in every passage that deals with spiritual gifts, maybe with one exception, and we're going to touch on that uh, shortly, in every passage that deals with spiritual gifts, the emphasis is given to the fact that everyone has been given a spiritual gift. You can't look across the pew and say, boy, he has so many gifts, she has so many gifts, and I don't have any. That's not the case. Listen to these passages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now, the emphasis I'm making here now is on the fact that every man has been given a gift. Every person has been given a gift. But you see also to the profit of the body. We'll get to that later. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, another one of the great passages where the gifts of the Spirit are mentioned. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say unto you through the grace given to me. And listen to what he says. To every man that is among you. And when, he, when Paul goes on to say from this, he begins, to, he begins to delineate the various gifts. So that to every man Paul is speaking to, and every person has these various gifts. Thirdly, we see again in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But unto every one of us is this grace given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. To every one of us is this grace given. And then, of course, in our verse that we're looking at here today, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as every man has received the gift. You see, this is no unique emphasis that, that Peter is making. This is no uh, uh, kind of, this is no little nuance in what the gifts are all about. This, in one sense, is, the, is one of the broad foundational truths of, of spiritual gifts. That every individual in the church of Jesus Christ has been gifted by Christ through the sovereign will of the Spirit of God to do that which will help this assembly fulfill its work, fulfill its task. Whether it be in the worship of God, whether it be in the edification of the church, whether it be in the, edi whether it be in the evangelization of the lost. All these things come together and you and I are gifted for this. Listen, my friends, who else is going to worship God in spirit and truth other than the church of Jesus Christ? Who else is going to be to the, to the benefit of the, uh, of the spiritual uh, edification of the people of God other than the church of Christ? Who else is going to bring the message of the saving gospel to a lost world other than the church of Jesus Christ? And you and I can't do this on our own. We must be and we are uniquely gifted and qualified for these things. This is again stressing this fact that you, yes you, have been uniquely gifted for the task in front of us. Now, what's interesting, and the reason why I say that uh, every passage, maybe with the exception of one, there's a passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 4, which is interesting because there are a number of things that, that, that touch upon the nature of gifts as we see it in this passage in Hebrews. We're not going to develop it all uh, thoroughly here today. But in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, I have to admit a passage that doesn't always come up in the discussion of the gifts. But in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, listen to what the writer says. 
Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. This is one of the classic warning passages in the book of Hebrews. Number of warning passages in the book of Hebrews. Always we have the writer of the book of Hebrews calling us to to spiritual uh, vigor, spiritual faithfulness. And so again, the warning is given. We We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Verse 2, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. What's he saying? Look, the Old Testament came through the mediation of angels. And that Old Testament was proven true. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 3. Listen to what he says, the warning. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which was declared first by the Lord and attested to us by those who heard. Now listen in verse 4. Very interesting passage of Scripture. While God also bore witness, this is God bearing witness to the New Testament, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and here's our passage, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Here what we have in this passage of scripture is God's own authentication by way of miracle to the reality of the new covenant that we, that we enter into through faith in Jesus Christ. And if the word that was given by angels was proven to be true and every transgression again received a, a, you know, it, it's, its punishment, how much more? And this, this is the light in which you and I live. We live in that day of how much more? But did you notice here? How that these miraculous gifts were confirmed, I'm sorry, how that these miraculous gifts confirmed the message of the gospel. And also that little phrase, the distribution to every man by way of the Holy, by way of the Holy Spirit. And so even in that he- passage in Hebrews, we have this emphasis on the distribution of spiritual gifts. That's all I wanted to, to bring to your attention by way of, uh, uh, by way of going to that, uh, uh, to that uh, passage of Scripture. This brings us now to, an, to another point that I think is worth developing. Some of you might be aware of this. You may have heard of this before if you've done any kind of study on the uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. You might be aware of the fact, and I think this is right and proper, that um, when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and we try to evaluate what our gifts are, one of the things we begin to understand is that it's a very, very, in a very real sense, we might not have necessarily one gift. What we may have is a particular blending of a number of gifts. So that the gift as it is given to you by way of the sovereign work of the Spirit is somewhat unique to you. It's somewhat uh, uh, specific to you. Now again, uh, most of us probably like to hear things like that. We all like to think we're kind of unique. You know, we all like to think that there's really nobody, you know, kind of exactly like us. Um, but there is, a, there is a reality there that we should be aware of. That there is a, a uniqueness by way of who you are, by way of your, the personal calling, by way of the, the effect of the work of the Spirit upon you, but also by way of a combination of gifts. Now why do we say these things? Number one, I think we can say these things just by way of general observation, but I think there's a better reason why we say these things. And that's because when we look at how the gifts manifest themselves in the lives of individuals on the pages of Scripture, what we begin to see is that indeed we seem to observe this kind of blending of gifts. And I want to I I suggest to you an example of that in the life of that dear uh, early sister, or early Christian, uh, our sister by the name of Dorcas that we find in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. You might want to turn there, actually. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. 
And some of you are familiar with uh, Dorcas and her experience. You know that uh, uh, that she uh, was uh, she had died, and that uh, she was miraculously uh, uh, again uh, brought back to life. And and what I want you to see here is not so much the miracle. I want you to see something about Dorcas and this bringing together, this blending of various gifts that we see. Acts chapter nine, verses thirty-six through thirty-nine. Now notice this. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha which by interpretation is called Dorcas. Now notice this. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. I think the ESV says full of charity. Again, it's the idea of her expressing uh, this love and this charity. Verse 37. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And and forasmuch as Lydia was nigh the Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there. And they sent unto him two men, desiring him that they would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the coats and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Now again, I'm going to stop short of the actual miracle because I want you to focus on Dorcas and her gifts. I think if we look at Dorcas, one of the things that we would have to say is that she must have certainly had a gift of mercy. Here was a woman who used her talents to provide clothing for those who were in need. This gift of mercy was probably combined with the gift of giving. She was not acting stingily and saying, hey, I can't give this. I need this for myself. I have this responsibility. She didn't do that. So while her primary gift may have been the gift of mercy, that gift of mercy was blended, again, with the, with the gift of giving. And I think we see something else blended in here. I think we see elements and aspects of something that we don't always identify with spiritual gifts, but we have to observe it. I think we see something of Proverbs 31 here as well. What do we read about the, the woman in Proverbs 31? For, uh, Proverbs 31, verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Notice how we see the blending of these things coming together for the gift that was uniquely in Dorcas. Here was a woman showing this charity, this love. Here she was again, this, the, the, uh, giving uh, the, these, alms, these, uh, these alms. The gift of giving combined with the gift of mercy. Working in that with, again, this wisdom that God gave. Stop and think she would have very necessarily had uh, something of wisdom about her. She would have been able to gather from here and gather from there, and she would be able to make this one a coat and that one a cover. Here was a woman who had a blended a combination of gifts, but oh, how wonderful and how valuable they were to the church. And this is only one example of what I would say by way of what it means to have gifts, not so much as, 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 uh, uh, as clearly uh, marked off uh, categories. I have this gift and nothing else, and that gift and nothing else. And this. No, that's not, that's not how we see it working in the pages of Scripture. Now, the gift may, now one element of the gift may predominate, may, 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 may be predominant, so that we can say uh, that Dorcas, she had the gift of giving, But mercy was so closely entwined with it that we'd have to say, well, you really can't say that she only had one or the other. She seemed to have them both. The circumstances of her life brought these things together. And this is, again, why I would say this. This is why I think sometimes it's hard to categorize what gift you may or may not have. Sometimes I think the gifts are broader than that. And so when we get to the question, how how do we understand what our gifts are? First of all, I want to say this. The the Bible never really tells us, go and find out what your gift is. It never really tells us that. Nothing wrong with doing that. Never really tells us that, though. 
But I think that one of the things that we can find in the life of the church and on the pages of the New Testament isn't so much, again, a way to find out what your gifts are. Rather, you become aware of what your gifts are. And the way that happens, if I can suggest, may be something like this. Say there is a need within the church. And by way of a duty, now understand this, there are duties placed upon the Christian and there are those who are gifted in the church so whether those duties are taken up with a particular spiritual ability. But let me set that aside for now. Say there's something, there's a, there's a need that comes up in the church. And by way of a duty, I say, okay, this, this has to be addressed. A brother so-and-so needs something. Sister so-and-so needs something. And I go and I do it. I'm trying to do it. And you see me kind of struggling in that. And you come alongside me and you begin to help because you think it's a duty to help me out. So it's just at the level of a duty. You see a duty, you're plugging yourself into it. And then as you're doing that duty, you begin to find that there is this kind of ability that you have that's kind of outstripping my ability. I'm struggling in this thing, and you're taking this thing up with, with relative ease. And you see that you're taking it up with relative ease, and not only are you kind of enjoying this, you're seeing that the individual or individuals who you're trying to help are genuinely benefiting by that. And you're seeing that it's being done in a way not to where you're drawing attention to yourself, saying, well, I really did it better than the next guy. No, you're doing it in a way where, you, where you're desiring and you're seeing Christ being exalted and glorified. And when it's all said and done, guess what? I think you may have just discovered what your spiritual gift is. You see, if I can say it this way, where there is a need in the church, address yourself to it. You'll know whether or not you have the gift in that. Sooner enough, soon enough, you'll know. It'll either be difficulty, you'll be messing it up, or it'll be something again that you take up with, with, this, with this particular spiritual ability, this, this, uh, this, this, uh, this, uh, this facility. You're able to do these things. And so I think this is one of the ways in which we begin to say, okay, well, that's not my gift there, so I'm not going to... No, you, in one sense, you don't have a right to do that. If you see your brother and sister in need, you don't have a right to say, well, that's not my spiritual gift. I'm not going to do that. That need is in front of you. You have to address that need. Now, you may do it in a very, you know, you may be kind of chugging along at maybe like 30% effectiveness and somebody with the gift comes in and they're like one of these high efficiency people. They're getting it done at 95% and above. And that's kind of pointing out where the gifts are. So that, so that you know that the gift isn't there. So that when the next time comes up, you still address the need. But you can say, look, I know somebody who's just perfect for this situation. Let me go talk to brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. You see, this is how, again, these gifts begin to be discovered and begin to be exercised. And so, again, I think this becomes uh, important uh, when, we, uh, when, we, when we begin to uh, engage the idea of gifts. This idea of the unique quality of the gift, I think, is, is, is brought to bear in our thinking when we look at the uh, New American Standard Bible. Uh, is, is Dave going to be okay like that? You make sure that I don't want nothing to happen to Dave there. Uh. All right, very good. All right. So I think, the, I think uh, the New American Standard Bible helps us uh, in, in this because uh, by way of the unique, by way of the emphasis on the uniqueness of the gift, the, the New American Standard Bible translates uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 along the following ways. Each one has received, notice what the, what the NASB says, each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Each one has received a special gift. The gift, in a very real sense, has a unique quality to it. 
not because the gifts in and of itself is, is, is unique. You know, mercy is mercy. Helps or helps. Administration is administration. Again, we understand. But again, what it looks like in you, it's unique. And there's a sense in which it's unique and special to the situation of the need. And so again, this idea of each and every one of us have a particular, a particular gift. And did you notice what Peter says here? He says again, good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And this is an interesting uh, feature of spiritual gifts as well, because when we look at the idea of the gifts, and we have this combination with the, uh, with the concept of the manifold grace of God, one of the things that commentators have said is basically this. When you look at the listing of the gifts in the New Testament, some men see like 11 gifts, some see 12 gifts, others can tell you that there's 19 gifts. I think the, I think the largest gift uh, list that I've seen were, were 22 gifts. Uh, but really what you'll see is that there's oftentimes an emphasis on the idea. Let me read you what somebody says here. He says, the point of all of this is simply to say that God gives the church an amazing variety of spiritual gifts. And they are all tokens of his varied grace. In fact, Peter says as much as each has received the gift employed for one another as good stewards of God's manifold grace, which has the meaning of many facets or aspects, having a rich diversity. And so again, instead of just locking ourselves into gift A, gift B, gift C, understand that there is going to be something by way of what this church needs. Understand there's going to be something by way of who and what you are. Understand there's going to be something by way of the sovereign uh, distribution of the gifts by the Spirit of God. While mercy will always be mercy. While, uh, while, while administration will always be administration. While teaching will always be teaching. There will be a uniqueness that kind of exhibits itself in the manifestation of these gifts. So, so much then for the fact that each and every one of you, each and every one of us, have a gift that was sovereignly given to us by the Spirit of God. Well, this brings us to the next point. The next point is what we would call the aim or the, or the purpose of every person's gift. And what I would say to you is this. You have not only been uniquely qualified and gifted by God to be in this church, but you have been, you have been gifted by God to be in this church for the benefit of others. And stop and think of what that means by way of the life of this church. Romans chapter 15, verse 6, Paul says this, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where the, this is where the gifts are, are aiming toward. This is where the gifts are working toward. So that we may with one mind and one mouth glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that our purpose? Isn't that our driving motive? Isn't that what we seek to extend throughout this world? That with one voice and one mind, we might exalt and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is why the gifts work for the mutual edification of the believer. It's not me building up my little kingdom here, you building up your little kingdom there, me having my little ministry over there, you having a bigger ministry over there. That's not what it's about. It's that we with one heart, sorry, one mouth and one mind might glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the unifying principle and the glory of God is the unifying principle in the exercise and the use of our spiritual gifts. Amen. Now again, I hate to say it this way. I hope this isn't a letdown for you. I hope you're not, I hope you're not uh, uh, somehow uh, discouraged by the fact that, that your gift isn't given for your own benefit. I hope you're not discouraged by the fact that your gift is given for the benefit of all. And this is again what Paul says. We looked at it already, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit the, uh, withal. The ESV says it this way. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
You see, you're essential in this place. You are. And, 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 and the sooner and, 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 and the better we embrace this with all, without all of the airs of, you know, I'm special here and this church can't do this without me. No, no, we don't do that. But we do understand that there is a real vitality to your presence in this place. Please embrace that. Please understand that in one sense, this is the great thrust of what this series on the, on the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. So that we might with one mouth and one voice glorify God. And so again, this is the, the whole purpose. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, and when, in reference to the gifts, the gifts, what does Paul say? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And again, the whole idea is, is that we as the body of Christ, this mutual edification taking place in order that God might be glorified. Now let me say this, getting more particular here now, that when you exercise your spiritual gifts, you have to understand there are a number of things that happen simultaneously. One of the most important things that happens when, uh, when believers are exercising their gifts within the church is that their fellow believers have opportunity to exercise theirs. Counterintuitive, counterintuitive, <laughs> counterintuitive, isn't it? Because we think if I'm exercising my gifts, that's going to kind of take the oxygen out of the room. No. When you exercise your gifts, you create the opportunity for other gifts to be exercised. You might think, well, how is that possible? Well, I can only give you examples from Scripture. Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. You know the passage of Scripture. There were the apostles. And what were they doing? They were doing basically the whole work of the ministry. And there was this issue that came up. And what do, and what do the apostles say? He said again, Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually prayer into the ministry of the word. Now, I want you to understand, there is something by way of an official function, an office that's being developed here. But, these, but this office was going to be filled by gifted individuals. And when those gifted individuals fulfill the work that was given there by way of the, uh, the necessity to serve, it opened up further opportunity and further effectiveness for the apostles in the ministry, number one, of prayer, and then the ministry of the word. And so you see, when the gifts were properly being exercised, it was beneficial to the whole body. We see this in other places as well. In Romans chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says this. He says this to the Romans. He says, I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. I long to be there in Rome. I want to impart some spiritual gift. Now this takes nothing away from, it's not as though, it's not, it's not as though the Holy Spirit wasn't, uh, wasn't distributing the gifts and that Paul was. That's not, at all, that's not saying that at all. The idea is this, Paul wanted to exercise his gifts because in the exercise of his gifts, it would be beneficial to the body at large. And when the body at large is benefited by the gifts of one person, their gifts begin to develop as well. And so again, when the gifts are exercised in a local assembly, it creates again the opportunity and the atmosphere for greater, for greater usefulness of the gifts. It's interesting that, uh, that Paul, uh, even though he had had an earlier fallout, and this becomes important, even though he had had an earlier fallout with John Mark, that young man who, who for whatever reason was not able to, to kind of endure the rigors of, of that missionary uh, a ministry that Paul was engaged in as he was a younger man. As Paul comes to the end of his life, what does he say? 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 11, he exhorts Timothy, he says, bring John Mark. 
because he is profitable to me in the ministry. You see, John Mark's gifts expanded out Paul's usefulness. And what's wonderful to see here is this. Paul and John Mark had a falling out. But being true brothers in Christ, this didn't break it off finally. No, but rather, what were they able to do? They were able again to come together in Christ and to be useful and helpful to one another. Your use of your gifts in this place expands the usefulness of gifts of others in this place. And I think lastly, of a passage of scripture, we don't often we don't oftentimes uh, apply it to spiritual gifts. I think there is some application that we can make here, though. And I'll just read the passage to you, and I want you to think uh, just together with me on this passage of scripture, Luke chapter eight, verses one through three. And it came to pass afterwards that he went throughout every every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And twelve were with him. That's not the point I want you to see. Verse two. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. Why am I bringing that out? Because as these women, whether or not we want to classically call it a spiritual gift or not, but in their giving, what did they do? They provided greater opportunity for the expansion of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how valuable and how needed and how essential the gifts of the Spirit are. Now, again, we can make a case that, well, was that truly a gift of the Spirit as this was you know, taking place before uh, the Spirit had descended at Pentecost? I, I think that's a point there that I don't really want to uh, develop with any kind of, uh, 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 in any kind of detail right now. But I want you to see at least this. Here were these women using their ability. We would say these abilities had to be in some way or shape or form given by God. They were using them for what? So that the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry would have greater, uh, uh, greater, uh, greater effect. And the point that we're trying to make is this. When you exercise your gift, you create the situation where other gifts can be exercised. You would think, I walk into a church, everybody's got gifts. I'm not going to stay here. I, 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 I'm not going to be able to use my gift. No, that's not the way that it works. The greater manifestation of the gifts, the greater the opportunity for manifestation of the gifts. What a wonderful thing to see here again, that when we talk about our gifts being used for the benefit of others, that whole idea revolves around the fact that the benefit of others involves their usefulness for God himself. Can I say it this way? This might sound self-serving. Well, I'll put it in the form of a prayer. I hope my gifts enable you to serve Christ better because I know when you exercise your gifts, you enable me to serve Christ better. You see? The mutual edification here, all for the glory of God. And so again, that was the, the, uh, the, the, the aim of our gifts. Uh, every person's, uh, the mutual edification of the body. And this brings us now to our third uh, point, and that is the accountability that every person has for their gift. And this brings us back, believe it or not, to, uh, to, to the proposition that I laid out in the beginning. And we, we've come full circle. Because now what we see is this. And this was the proposition we gave. You have been uniquely gifted by God to be in this church for the benefit of others and will give an account to the Lord of the church for how you use your gift. And that's where we're at now. Paul, Peter says uh, that we are to use our gifts as, as wise stewards of the manifold grace of God. This whole idea of stewardship is a very important concept in the Bible. We'll get to that here very shortly, but what I want you to understand by way of this, if nothing else, what stewardship means, stewardship means accountability and responsibility. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 from the NIV. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. You see, there's coming a day of great evaluation that is made upon the soul. Your conduct and what you have done with the gifts that Christ has given to you. One day you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account. You've been gifted. You're not going to be able to say, I didn't get a gift. And you don't want to be like that, like the person in the, in the parable of the talents. And say, you know, I thought so little of myself and I was, you know, and I was all thumbs and, and I couldn't think my way out, 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 out of a paper bag and, and I'm just nothing but a, but, you know, but, but a burden on, on, on that group. And the Lord Jesus Christ like that, and, and, and then you say, well, so, I, so whatever I thought I had, I didn't use it because I didn't want to get in everybody's way. And what does the Lord Jesus Christ say in that parable of the talents? In Matthew 25, you wicked servant. He takes that man to task for burying his talent. What parallel can we make? My friend, you have a gift. I don't fully know what it is. You may not fully know what it is. Sometimes it takes a long time to figure out what it is. It really does. But it's a gift. You must discover it. You must develop it. And you must exercise it. Because one day you and I will stand before God and we will give an account for the gifts that he has given to us. So this brings us now to the end and ask, and leaves us with the question, how do, we, how do we apply these things? Oh, well, let me, let me, before I go, let me give you an illustration from the life of, uh, of John Bunyan uh, by way of the understanding of the importance of stewardship of the gifts. John Bunyan writes in his uh, kind of spiritual autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. We can probably all write that one, right? Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Um, Bunyan says this about himself. He says, I, at a certain point, I was, I was more particularly called forth and appointed to a more ordinary and public preaching of the word. So again, here was this man. He was given public responsibilities to preach the word of God. He goes on to say this, but I could not be content unless I was found in the exercise of my gift unto which I was greatly animated, not only by the continual desires of the godly, but also by that saying of Paul to the Corinthians, I beseech you, brethren, uh, you know that the household of Stephanus, that it was the first fruits of, uh, of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us, and laboreth. 1 Corinthians 16. Bunyan goes on to say this about that passage of Scripture. By this text I was made to see that the Holy Ghost never intended that men who have gifts and abilities should bury them in the earth but rather did command and stir up to the exercise of their gift and also did commend those who were apt and ready to do so. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. This scripture in these days did continually run, run in my mind to encourage me and strengthen me in this work for God. This man caught a sense of his stewardship before God with the gifts and the abilities that God had given to him. Brothers and sisters, my hope and my prayer is that you and I may do the same thing. You may have gifts that are beyond your ability to understand just how fully and thoroughly gifted God has granted you to be. And those gifts have to be uncovered. They have to be exercised. They have to be developed. And by the grace of God, this is what I hope and pray this assembly becomes. But as we close out the passage, I set before you three points of application, three points to interact with. When it comes to this whole idea of trying to evaluate your gift, can I say this? Rather than making 
the focus specifically on what my gift is. Can I ask you to do this? Look for needs within the church and apply yourself to those needs. Whether or not you are gifted in that area will become evident. And you will have not just a personal understanding of what your gifts are. You will have others saying to you, brother or sister, you're showing a particular giftedness in this area. And you need to exercise that gift. And you need to develop that gift. And you need to use that gift for the benefit of the people of God. And you need to use that gift for the glory of God. So rather than the specifics of, is this my gift? Look for the need. Plug yourself into it. You'll find out what your gift is. Amen. You will. And others will see it as well. Somebody, and you might think you have a gift. And others might say, mm, I don't know about that. You remember the last time you tried this and the last time you tried it? So again, that's what I would say. Secondly, what I would say is this. Uh, don't be overly concerned with categorizing your gift into a narrow stripe. Uh, because you may have, like Dorcas, a blending of gifts. It may be very hard as you are being looked at or evaluated or as you're evaluating yourselves. It may be very hard to say, oh, I had, my gift is in this area, my gift is in that area. You may have this blending of gifts. You may have, uh, again, the wisdom of a woman in, in Proverbs 31 who can gather together all this. You may have, the, uh, again, the, uh, combine that with the, with, the, with, with the gifts of giving and mercy that Dorcas had. And you may have this unique gift that you are to this body of Christ. So don't be overly concerned with the categorizing of these gifts. And thirdly, I want to say this, and I have to say this is this this last point of application comes to me as I was uh, uh, thinking about a, a, an email a conversation that I had with our brother Dan Wright, who was with us here last week. And as as we were talking after the service, he he made mention of the fact that uh, you know in, in 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 the exercise of the gifts that you know we don't want to just put up uh, 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 you know bulletins. There's an opportunity here, an opportunity there. He, he, he stressed the fact that really what we want to see happen in the gifts, we want to see the gifts develop from who and what we are. He put it this way, that there is to be an emphasis on being rather than doing, being before we're doing, so that the gifts are, work, are what God is working in us. It's not just me trying to hit a target outside of me. The gifts are developing within, that, within what God is doing through His Spirit within my life and within the setting that God has placed me. So again, your gift will be the manifestation of what God is doing within you. That's what we see here. And so my brothers and sisters, we've not even come to consider any of the gifts yet, have we? Um, we'll do that next week. We're just going to look at the two broad categories of gifts, serving gifts and speaking gifts. And then after that, as I said, uh, then uh, probably within, I don't know, six weeks' time, we'll begin to do our, our weekly uh, midweek studies, and we'll we'll look at the gifts in uh, in, in detail. We'll let us pray.